0: Let me, let me say this as we get into tonight's message. Um, as someone who is just a couple steps ahead of you, I'm 38 years old, I'm just, you know, for some of you, I'm a couple steps. For some of you, I'm a step. For some of you, you're ahead of me, and we're going to have a conversation after this. Um, and I will kindly ask you not to hit on the 21-year-old girls and head out. So it's never older women. There's never, like, 50-year-old women coming in and going, where's me some young men? Like, that never, that never happens. It's always the other way around. Anyway. I don't know. Wow. Um, here's, here's what I got to say. Uh, being slightly ahead of you guys. Uh, there is so much many times about life, about faith and all that kind of stuff that makes us uncomfortable. Um, it makes us uncomfortable. And many times what we do when we feel uncomfortable or we feel offended or whatever it may be, our, our choices. many times to clam up or to be angry or to move away from them. And let me just say this. As someone that is slightly ahead of you, you can learn the most you can learn the most from the things that make you feel uncomfortable. Um, those are the things that we lean into because when you lean into them, sometimes we find out we just care about something a lot. Other times we find out that they hit a nerve that actually makes sense. And so I was actually talking about this with my dad the other day who's 65. And we're just talking about how the older you get, the less you open you are to things that disagree with you. And even though the older you get, the more you should be open to. To them, So especially when it comes to faith. And here's what I mean by that. You take the simplest form of what Christianity is about. Love God, love others. And that is something that you can wrestle with your whole life. What does it mean to love other people? What does it mean to love the, my neighbors, the people around me, all that? These are things we can wrestle with. Once you stop wrestling with your faith, your faith stops growing. So as we go through this series, as we go through these things, some of these things, it's going to feel uncomfortable. Some of these things, it's going to cause you to wrestle. That's not a bad thing. In fact, even at the end of it, if you don't agree with me, I'm okay with that. I just want you to wrestle with it and think about it. Because we're, we're doing this series because of this generation. Uh, this generation is the most unchurched generation. This, this generation is the most likely to be called, and we talked about this before, the nuns, meaning the ones that when they check off, you know, what religion are you? They say none. And it's something that has been a problem because I believe this. I think many of the reasons that people step away from their faith, especially the millennial and Gen Z generations, is because they had a childhood faith that didn't grow up. They had a childhood faith and then all of a sudden they grew up and they started asking fact-based questions and got faith-based answers. Answers. They started going to their parents and saying, hey, what about this? What about this? And their parents went, well, I don't know, but we believe this. And they didn't get good answers to those things. And I believe what has happened is we've sort of started to walk away. And the first week, if you were here, we talked about atheism and how there's unsettling things about atheism. There's unsettling things about following Christ, but just because something's unsettling doesn't mean it's not true. And when we're walking away from God, we're walking towards something. Last week, we talked about the gods that never existed. And for some of you, I know it was an uncomfortable time because I talked about gods that maybe were very close to you. We talked about the bodyguard, God, the idea that if you have enough faith, God won't let anything bad happen to you. And how that wasn't, that's not true. Or the the gap God, the one that just fills in the gaps of what we can't understand. Or the God that's against science and this idea that we have to choose science or God. And all of these things were there because someone told us, but as we got older, our faith never grew up. In fact, when I have all these conversations with people, and you heard me say this last week, about deconversions, about why they leave their faith, many times they tell me why they left their faith. And I'm like, I don't believe in that either. I don't believe in that also because Christian deconversion comes down to two things we can throw the slide up there. It's it's what we talked about last week as somebody told me so God and a Bible tells me so Jesus. And here's we're talking about a Bible tells me so Jesus. And let me just start off this. I need you to listen. I do. I need you to pay attention. I don't take notes. Don't try Um, We're going to go through a lot, and it's going to be really fast. And if you're not paying attention, you may get the wrong thing, and I may get an email from Pastor Craig tomorrow morning going, Hal doesn't believe in the Bible? No. And I just want you to pay attention. It will be up on the podcast. If you haven't listened to the others, you can catch up with those on the podcast. Uh, If you want notes, I will send you those notes. And let me say this. As I start this message, okay, I want to make sure you understand this. I love the Bible. Okay? I read it daily. I think it's something that is incredibly important. It's the manual God gave us for our lives. I believe it has incredible importance. What I'm talking about today is not that I don't like the Bible. You may go through part of these like, "Why is he down on the Bible?" I'm not down on the Bible. I'm down on the idea that the only thing that our Christian life can hold to is the Bible. There is much, much more than that. Okay? I love the Bible. I read the Bible I believe in the Bible. Okay. All right. (laughs) But here's the deal. Here's what happened. We're, we're going along the way. And if you grew up in church, you know, this line, Jesus loves me. This I know for the tells me so, and that's where it went wrong. Stay. Don't leave. Don't leave. That's where it went wrong, is this belief that the reason we believe Jesus loves us is just because the Bible tells us so. There's the implication that the only thing we can hold on to in our faith is that the Bible told us Jesus loves us, so that's all we had. And many of you, this was was your childhood. This is the type of church I grew up in. It's the, if the Bible says it, that settles it kind of situation where you would come up with questions and they would just say the Bible said, but they wouldn't answer around that. They wouldn't say anything else. They would just say, if the Bible says it, that settles it. And the problem is you go off to college, and then all of a sudden you have all of these questions. You bring them home to your parents. You bring them home to your pastors, and you say, well, what about this? And they just say, well, we don't believe in that. You're like, that's not an answer. Like, and that's not what we do, or it's not in the Bible. And you're wondering, what is it that we believe? And here's the truth. If the Bible is the foundation of our faith, as the Bible goes, so goes our faith. And let me just say this. The problem is Christianity can't survive if the Bible disappears, is the belief. If the Bible disappeared, we wouldn't be able to to follow after God. And so we keep not asking questions. Many of you have been in the world where people have said, hey, just believe, don't think. And that's not at all what God wants us to do. Being alive for 38 years, I will tell you this, every single year I've been alive, there has been a news story and there's been people talking about reasons why the Bible isn't true. It will happen all the time. You will hear people talk about it. You'll hear people talk about, well, you can't prove this in the Bible. You can't prove that in the Bible. I still remember, I think it was about 13, 14 years ago, there was a movie that came out called The Da Vinci Code. And before that, there was the book. Here's what's crazy. It was fiction. Dan Brown said, it's fiction. But people watched it and went like, oh, no. It's like Mary was mar- married to Jesus? Well, Dan Brown said it was so, and literally churches had to do series on why the Da Vinci Code wasn't real. There's always people that it comes out, well, you know, what about the fact that you can't prove that the walls of Jericho fell, or you can't prove that Cain killed Abel, you can't prove these things, and the belief is if we can't prove every single thing in the Bible, then the Bible isn't true. And here's what we know, and this is true, is that if any part of the Bible isn't true, then the Bible isn't true. So the pressure becomes, I no longer have to defend my faith. I have to defend a Bible that I don't know everything about. And this is what I'm saying. I'm not saying the Bible is not true. In fact, there is a crap ton of information. Yes, that's a unit of measurement. there's a crap ton of information out there. Archaeological evidence, philosophical evidence of the Bible. Look up Ken Ham. Google his name and get ready for the next five days to watch all of his videos and you will see evidence on top of evidence of how we can prove things happen. The problem is we can't prove everything. They can't prove it never happened, but we can't prove it happened because it was thousands of years ago. And so the problem that happens is that people see that they go, well, we can't prove that. And so they think, well, if the, I can't prove the Bible, then I don't have faith then I don't have faith. And let me just say this. There is a version of Christianity. There is the version we believe in that is not that fragile. It's not that fragile. And And let me say this. This will make a lot of sense to you guys. Christianity does not exist because of the Bible. It's the other way around. Okay? Just in the same way, you don't exist because you have a birth certificate. In the same way, your car doesn't exist because you have the manual. Here's what the Bible is. You look at the New Testament. It's both of those things. Like a birth certificate, it tells us what happened. Like a manual, it tells us how to live and have church. But it doesn't, it's not the reason Christianity exists. Christianity came first, and because of that, we had the Bible. Now, what I'm going to do today, I'm sure some of you are going to be so excited about it. We're going to have a history lesson. Some of you are like, Yes. I was just telling my friend, I hope there's a history lesson in church today because I was hoping to be bored out of my mind. I'm trying not to be bored. And just so to make it better, we're going to start off with the timeline. Yes, right? And so we're going to start off with the timeline. Here's what I want to do. I want to talk about how Christianity came to be, and it will show us how much more we have to believe than just reading God's word. So let's go up. let's throw it up there, the first timeline there. Okay, so here's the deal. you got to understand, when Jesus was born and he lived, they were going after something called the Julian calendar. It's a a different form. And then later on, around 5, I think it was 525 AD, uh, they switched over to what's called the Gregorian calendar, which is based off of Jesus' birth, BC AD, before Christ, after death. Here's the problem. They got some of the dates mixed up because in 525, they didn't have all the information. So saying that, when you look at this calendar, Jesus was born three years before he was born. So they, they basically, they weren't able to figure it out. So basically Jesus was born about two to three uh, BC. And then he was, lived his life. And then 30 AD, we have three big events happen. First, we have the crucifixion where Jesus dies on the cross. Jesus dies on the cross. At that moment, everyone's freaking out, all that. Three days later, he resurrects and then he shows himself to over 500 people. A couple weeks later, about two months, the church starts. The church starts. Not years later, not hundreds of years later. A couple months after Jesus comes back, the church starts. And basically what happens is this. The church goes out into the streets. They say, you killed him. God raised them. Say you're sorry. You killed him. God raised him. We saw him. Say you're sorry. And then hundreds, thousands of people became Christians. It, it was this whirlwind that started weeks, weeks after Jesus' resurrection. Now the next, the next thing on that calendar is in A.D. 70. And this is, I want to explain this situation real quick. And this is when the temple was destroyed. In 70, around 78 day, there's this guy named Vespasian. Vespasian was a general in the army. He is basically at this moment, he is tasked with getting rid of all the Jewish rebellion. Many times during the Roman empire, the Jewish rebellion would come along. They'd have different gangs and different factions and they would fight against the Romans, a lot of guerrilla warfare type deals. And so the Roman empire is like, we've had enough. So Vespasian comes down from Galilee. He starts rounding everybody up, moving them down towards Jerusalem. He's rounding everybody up, every gang, every faction, everything, Till there's a point where really just about every Jewish person that would be against the Roman Empire is in Jerusalem. At that moment, he gets called. Basically, he becomes the emperor. His son, Titus, decides he's going to do this the harshest way possible, builds a moat around uh, Jerusalem, builds an earthen wall behind it, and then literally starts sacrificing, crucifying Jews on crosses hundreds at a time. Basically going, guys, you need to give up. This entire process is about four to five years this goes on. This entire thing. Then finally, they breach the walls of Jerusalem. They destroy the temple. They kick Jews out of Jerusalem. Basically, if you were a Jewish person, you could not go to Jerusalem, which is your holy city. And at that point, they put literally thousands, many say hundreds of thousands of Jewish people into slavery. So many many people in slavery that you actually look in history, the price of slaves dropped because there were so many in the system at that time. So basically, if you were a Jewish person, you remembered those four or five years. Why do I say that? Here's why. Because that kind of big deal, when you look at the Gospels, when you look at the writings of Paul, when you look at the entire New Testament, you don't see that mentioned. You don't see that mentioned. And really, what we have to come to the conclusion of is this, it hadn't happened yet. You're like, well, why does that matter? Here's why. Here's why. Because if it hadn't happened yet, that means that the New Testament, the, the writings that we had that weren't the New Testament yet, were written between about 49 A.D. and 69 A.D. Some people believe that John, the guy who wrote Revelation, 1 John, Second John, 3 John, it may have been a little bit later than that, going into about 86 A.D., but all of them were before that. Why is that important? Here's why. Is because the people love to push it. You'll see people say, oh, they weren't written until hundreds of years later. None of them were written by the actual people. Here's why. Because it takes about 70 years for something to become legend. It takes about 70 years for miracles, resurrection, all that kind of stuff to become legend. So what they say, what people will say is, well, what happened was they really wanted Jesus to raise from the dead. They really liked them. And so they started to believe it. They started to talk about it. these stories became more and they became legend and people started to follow after him. The problem is there's no proof for that. There's no proof for that. And see, this is why this is so important. If the documents were written before that point, that means that the documents that were written were eyewitness accounts. Were eyewitness accounts to the point where you actually see it in some of the books. You see random people named in those books. And you're wondering, why is this person important? Here's why. They would name people because at that time you could go, oh, Well, James here says that he was at blah, blah, blah. And you go over, hey, James, did you see Jesus? He's like, yeah, I saw Jesus. I'm like, wow, this is true. That's why they did it. In fact, they actually did so much to make sure it looked like a historical document. You actually see Luke do this. Luke goes to an extent to make sure we understand when this time period is. Now, Luke 3, 1 to 2, if you go ahead, and put that up. This is how Luke does this. He says, it was now the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, the Roman emperor. Pontius Pilate was governor over Judea. Herod Antipas was ruler over Galilee. His brother Philip was ruler over Iturea and Trachonitis. Lysanias was ruler over Abilene. Annas and Caiaphas were the high priests. At this time, God came to the, John, John, the son of Zachariah, who's living in the wilderness. Why does Luke put all that up there? This is his way of saying, fact check me. I dare you. This is what he's doing. He's like, I want you to understand this is exactly what's happening, so when you look back, you can know for sure this is when it happened. They were incredibly purposeful in writing that way. It's Luke's way of saying, Google it, right? He's going, go ahead, go ahead, don't actually Google it because things have changed Wikipedia. Let me just say this about Wikipedia. I look up not that any of you are like Wikipedia is the answer to everything. Wikipedia used to be two sided. Now it's just straight atheist. Cause I looked it up the other day and I'm like, I was like, Oh, this is interesting because I, I don't know if you guys understand this. We don't longer live in an information age. We live in an editorial age, which means this, we no longer look at the actual source. We count on people to look at those sources and tell us what they say. And so when you look at Wikipedia, when you look at these things and they source those things, actually go to them because it's interesting. Because you find out that the actual source many times says something different or says, well, it could also be this. But Wikipedia states it as fact. Anyway, not that you needed to be told Wikipedia isn't truth. But here's the deal. If you're making up this entire story, if you're trying to create legend, you don't do this. You say this happened in a faraway place a long time ago. Like you're like, oh, yes, Jesus came in a time when things were simpler. You don't. You don't mark down the exact moment if you want people not to fact check you. He was basically saying, this is what happened in 1 Corinthians 15, 6. We see this says after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time. Most of them were whom were still alive though some had died. I got you, I need you guys to understand. Jesus didn't just return to his disciples. If he did, that would have been a little bit fishy. Like, oh, you just went back to the guys that really believe in you. No, he went to over 500 people. So when we look at the New Testament documents, when we look at what they wrote, what we can understand is its truth and its history. There's a guy named Frank Turek who wrote a book called Stealing from God. And let me say this, if you're someone who really wants to get into this, read this. If you're someone who likes to say a little bit surface level, don't even try. I'm, I'm telling you the first couple chapters he's a very philosophical mind. It's like you read a couple sentences and you sit there staring at the wall. Like, and you just drool a little bit going, wow, that's amazing. It's a lot. But in chapter seven, if you decide to pick it up, He talks about why we can trust the New Testament documents and why we can look at these things and understand how real they are. Because here's what happened. The New Testament documents were written, and then all of a sudden, they started expanding. People started copying them. They were all the way from Rome to Constantinople to Egypt to all around the Mediterranean Rim. Like, the Roman Empire was huge, was huge, and there's, you hear people say this all the time, well, you know, there's a lot of differences, there's a lot of things you know, that are false, they said one thing in one and one thing in the other. Let me just say this, that thought is lazy. Because if you actually do the research, you realize how close these documents are. In fact, they believed you gotta realize, they believe this was the story, this was the history of their savior. They are writing it down word for word. Imagine what you do. When you have to copy something that's important, what do you do? You make sure, right, when you finally get that person's number that you're trying to go out with, you ask them five times or you have them put it in your phone and just pray that another girl doesn't text you, right? Like, who's, who's baby daddy? No, never mind. We do. When you see one of those 15 letter number Wi-Fi passwords, do you just look at it really quick and go, oh, I got it? No. No. You write it down. You take a picture of it. You do these things. you got to understand, these documents are username and password accurate. Now, are there differences? Yes, there are. In fact, there's thousands of them. There's thousands of them. Most of them are the difference of one letter at the end of a word. And the rest of them, you're like, well, what about the rest of them? If you have a Bible that's a study Bible, they're all in there. In fact, if you've noticed this, at the bottom of your Bible, if you have a study Bible, you'll find different things that say, an earlier transcript said this, or a later transcript said this. Why are they all in here? Because there's nothing to hide. It's not like a lot of the transcripts said, yes, Jesus died on the cross, and then a whole bunch of others said, no, he actually got up on his roof to do some work and fell off. Like, that's, that didn't happen. Like, and I say that, but people will say these things. They'll be like, oh, there's so many differences. Guys, There are zero historical differences in those because there are thousands of copies to look at. There are thousands of copies of the New Testament writings that we can look back at and realize that. Now, let me get you to understand this. They didn't make copies of the Gospels because they thought they were inspired. When you look at the Old Testament we look at God talks to prophets. God talks to people there. There is a belief it's inspired because God's talking to that person and nobody else is hearing it. But in the Gospels, it's different. They made copies of the Gospels because they believed they were true. They believed they were true. They wrote them down because they go, this is the record of the person we want to know the most about. So they went through all these things just to have copies of this Bible, to have copies of these scriptures. So we look back at our timeline real quick and you see 312. That's when Constantine, Emperor Constantine took over. Basically at this point, uh, Rome was a tetrarchy, um, which is a fancy word for three leaders. uh, Constantine basically decided that's too, too many leaders. So he takes over. Uh, he is ahead of the Roman Empire, and all of a sudden, at 312, this is what's so, so crazy, at 312 A.D., so basically between 30 A.D. and 312 A.D., what you see is this. The church booms. Christianity booms. It, it is literally growing by leaps in bounds. And this is the persecution years. These are the times, if you wonder who is being thrown to the colis- in the Colosseum to the lions, mainly Christians. Mainly Christians. If you're wondering who is being sacri- uh, like sacrificed or crucified on a regular basis, it was Christians. Nero, if you look him up, he's crazy. There's a moment where he is literally taking Christians and lighting them at his garden parties for light. Burning them at the stake for light. If you were a Christian at that time, you weren't a Christian because everyone loved you and it was good and there was benefits. You were a Christian because you believed because it was a dangerous time to be a Christian. Actually, what's crazy is Constantine's mother becomes a Christian while it was still illegal to become a Christian. So here's what happens though. Constantine has just taken over these these two different parts of the empire and he's looking, he's going, I need to figure something out to bring everyone together. I need to figure out something that everyone has in common that I can bring people together and they will feel a part of an empire. And what Constantine does is this, is he makes Christianity the state-sponsored religion. So in this time, Christianity is illegal wrong and just a couple of people. It goes from that all the way to being the state-sponsored, the religion of the biggest empire in the world. And, And I want you to understand this. Constantine did not make this happen because he believed in Christianity. He actually says that it wasn't a Christian. The reason he did it is because he knew that's what everyone else believed. That people were literally looking at the Colosseum. They were looking at people being burned at the stake. And they were going, I will believe in this anyway. To come to this conclusion, Christianity made its greatest strides during the 282 years before the Bible even existed. Christianity made its greatest strides in the 282 years before the Bible existed. Here's what's so crazy to me and what is so different about this see Christianity is is different when you really get down to I love people when they say they go well all religions are basically the same that just means to me that you haven't studied religions because they are very different with Christianity it's so different because it's literally God going hey do you believe in my son yes well do you are you sorry for your the sins that you've done yes here's heaven and then we go well do we have to pay you back God's like no you don't have to pay me back they're like, are you sure? God's like, yeah, but I'll tell you what. And we're like, oh, okay, of course there's a but. He goes, but I have a better life for you. I have a life that I want you to do that has more purpose, has more meaning. You know, all those skills and talents you have, I want to use them for a reason. And I want you to have the best life possible. And then we go, well, what if we mess up? Well, you know, remember that forgiveness thing? Yeah, just ask for it again and we can move forward. But here's the deal, guys. God gives us heaven to start off. Being martyred in Christianity is no benefit. There's no virgins, right? There's there's no money. There's no like, if you get martyred, then Jesus goes, well, you get to be next to me. There's nothing there. People are literally dying for Christianity, not because of something they can gain, because of what they can give to other people. Guys, get that. People are dying in the hundreds of thousands because they believe so much in who Jesus was. So when we look back at the timeline, it wasn't until 350 A.D. when they put together the Old Testament and the New Testament writings, and it wasn't until 388 A.D. where they actually called it the Bible. It wasn't until 388 A.D. where they actually decided it was called the Bible, and in that time, you see incredible things happening. In fact, before the Old Testament and the New Testament were combined, entitled the Bible, Christianity had already replaced the pantheon of Roman, barbarian, and Egyptian gods and was the state religion of the Roman Empire. Guys, you've got to realize how big that is. A lot of people look at Christianity and they assume it's one of those state-sponsored religions because we grew up in the United States. Or you think of, you know, England and stuff like this. Not only was Christianity not the state-sponsored religion, it was illegal to be a Christian, and it grew so much that they had no choice but to make it that. In fact, I actually believe Christianity should never be a state-sponsored religion, meaning by that I don't think a, govern- a government and Christianity should be close together because every time that happens, people use it for evil. In fact, you see it throughout history. They're like, hey, we need to conquer these people. How do we get everybody on board? Tell them God told us to do it right? We really want that land over there. It has a lot of good stuff. How do we get it? Well, tell them it's a godly thing, right? Yeah. Oh, we really want to do these things that sound awful. We want to kill these people. We'll tell them they're against God and we should do it. And that's what God told you to do. See, when God and government mixes together, it's always a bad thing because evil people use Christianity for evil. But what you see right here is you literally see a religion grow so much that the one in power has no choice but to say, all right, this is what we believe. I mean, this is what's crazy. This is all before the Bible was in the hands of any person. In fact, the Bible really wasn't in the hands of anybody until the printing press, which was around, I think it was like 1400 AD, somewhere around in that time. Gutenberg invented the printing press because at that moment, nobody wanted to. It was illegal to own a Bible. If you owned the Christian scriptures, it was illegal. On top of that, it was expensive. They used wax tablets that were incredibly, incredibly expensive, and not many people knew how to read back then. So like a lot of people, you give them the Bible like, that's cool, I can't read, so it doesn't mean anything. So it's like not a lot of people had the Bible, yet amazingly, without the Bible, it grew like wildfire. See, when you look at all of Jesus' people that were following him, you got Peter, James, John, Paul, all of those people, they didn't follow Jesus, they didn't get martyred because of an infallible Bible. They weren't martyred because of what the Bible says. They were martyred because they believed in a man. See, here's what I think. I think if you, we had a time machine and you decided to go back and we went back to Jesus' time and we got next to Peter, who was one of Jesus' disciples. And we said, hey, Peter, I want you to understand. Um, I want you to understand. Here's the deal. We, we don't have a ton of archaeological evidence for the walls of Jericho falling. Like, we don't, we don't have any evidence for Cain and Abel or even Adam and Eve existed. You know, hey, hey, we don't, we're not even sure that a, there was a global flood. We don't have that. And Peter would look at you and go, hey, um, I don't know about all that. that. That's great. But here's what I know. Um, I watched my friend do incredible miracles, and then I saw him die. And then three days later, these women came screaming and said, he's alive, he's alive. And I didn't think it was true because I thought somebody just stole him. But then one day I'm walking along the beach and there is Jesus making breakfast. And I sat down with my savior and had breakfast with him. You see, here's the deal. When someone predicts their death and their resurrection, I pretty much just do whatever they say. Because anybody can predict their death. The resurrection's way trickier. He goes, here's the deal, I'm a Jewish person. Peter was a Jewish man. He goes, I love the Jewish scriptures, but my faith does not rely on proving all of that right. My faith relies on my friend, Jesus. See, guys, the first 300 years of Christianity, it didn't grow because of a Bible. It grew because of a person. And you have these disciples doing these crazy things, and you have Paul, who is named Saul, who is literally killing Christians and he has this conversion story and he's out just planting churches. He's out doing all of these things and they're doing it for no known reward. Nothing that they were, they were fighting for there. So when we sit there and we go, well, I look at the Bible and there's some things in there that I don't really understand. Guys, our faith is so much bigger than that. It's so much bigger than that. In fact, the, the faith that we have made it through mass crucifixions. The faith that we have made it through stonings. The faith that we have made it through the Colosseum and all these things. The faith that we have is incredibly, incredibly sturdier than what we have right now. Much more. See, if the church wasn't convinced of what Jesus did, it wouldn't have spread across country lines, across ethnicities, across religious beliefs. See, Christianity didn't interrupt the an empire because of the Bible. Christianity interrupted an empire because of a savior. And we can rest in that. So when you look at the the phrase, I know Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. This I know because Paul risked his life and said it was worth it because Peter, James, and John went out and told everyone about Jesus when they knew they would be martyred for what they believe. We know Jesus loves us because the church grew so much in that time was so unstoppable that nothing else like that in history has ever been seen. So guys, we got to understand Jesus loves us is so much more known than just the ability to prove that the walls of Jericho fell. Our faith is much more sturdier than that. Now, Next week, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about, so if Jesus is the Savior, then who does he say God is? Because if we want to know who God is, we should probably look to the person who came down to show us God. And some of you are like, well, finally, because last week we told everybody what God wasn't, and you probably thought this week I was going to tell you who God was. I I didn't. Um, I'll do that next week. And then the next week after that, we're going to talk about injustice. And let me just tell you, do not miss that week. It is a question that I get more than any other question, the idea of injustice and an evil in the world. Guys, allow your faith to be a little bit uncomfortable. Allow God to wrestle with it so that it comes out stronger than it was before. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for who you are. God, we thank you that uh, you have given us a faith that is sturdy, that you've given us a faith that we can hold on to. God, I pray that uh, as we go throughout our weeks, as as we go throughout our days, that we look at the passion that the early church had and ask ourselves, what's different? Why don't I have that? And we look to engage you in the same way that they did. God, I pray that you grow our faiths, you build our faiths as we go throughout this week. God, we thank you that we get to do this with you. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen.